Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for another episode of Tech Talk with your host, Joey Klein. Welcome, everyone. Second Tech Talk back since our new normal. It feels amazing to be sitting here looking at people across the table, not through a screen. Uh, we have two great guests today. First, we're going to talk to Robert Pastor, for, uh, CEO from Adapture. And then Anju Matthew, CEO of OncoLens. So, uh, Adapture, Robert, how are you doing this morning? Doing well. Thank you for having me, Joey. Appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. So, we're going to start um, with a little bit about what you do because, um, you know, we were, I was actually talking with Anju before you arrived about company names and, you know, how hard it can be to come up with a good company name that you get the URL. It rolls off the tongue. It means something. But Adapture might not necessarily be a household name to those who are not in, um, you know, the cybersecurity and IT infrastructure world. Yes. Yeah. Good Good call. Good Good uh, observation. And you're right. We have an amazing um, marketing department. So we spend a lot of time thinking about what do we really want to be? How do we want to come across? What are we trying to say about our brand that we can carry forward? And in the space back in 2013, when we first formed the company, there was a lot of change. You know, cloud was out there. People were talking about it. They were thinking about it. They were, oh, yeah, we're in the cloud, but we're not really sure what we're doing in the cloud. So it was a lot of change, adoption, and adapting. And so we thought Adapture would be a great front end to what we were thinking about because mm-hmm. you have to adapt to what this market is going to do over the next 10 years. So marketing came up with Adapture and, you know, you've just taken off from there. Colors and everything. And so, well, of course, that brings an interesting challenge, right? Because the challenges to which a business has to adapt change over time, right? This is a, you know, very, even though seven years isn't that long, it it, it is um, in today's technological world. And so uh, let's... Let's come back to what you think the new challenges to adapt to, because I want to get into a little bit of your business first. But, you know, you, you, you can go to Adapter's website and there's a lot of buzzwords out there like cybersecurity, IT infrastructure. And so to the layperson who's listening to this, dumb down what you guys do like we're talking to a five-year-old here, right? If my, if my little kids are listening to the show, sure. <laughs> what, which they're not, but what would you say, um, what would you say you do here? Yeah, there's there's two things that that really aren't going to change. One of them is the bad guy. The bad guy is always at the front door. So if I'm talking to somebody who is not familiar with security, um, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's physical security, whether it's you know personal security, the bad guy is always looking to get what you have, and so. That's pretty straightforward for everybody to understand. We spend time with our clients making sure that they are practicing what they say they're doing and more importantly, helping them continue to stay ahead of the curve from a security aspect. And and there's a bunch of rules around that. Some of them follow very um, specific guidelines with um, companies that are either in financial or in, in banking or in the healthcare side, but more importantly, straightforward security. Mm-hmm. The other thing is how do you get from a physical world 
into a non-physical world in technology, taking really more advantage of cloud so that you really can do the on-off button. I'm using it today, but I'm not going to use it tomorrow. Easy concept to swallow, but very, very difficult to deploy and manage. And that's where most of the adoption fails. Probably 78% of the industry that will turn on the switch will overspend about 140% in the first 18 months. And, and so from a cloud adoption perspective, we are talking about organizations that have a physical location where they store their data, whether that's in, on, in their offices, whether that's in a co-located data center, and they are utilizing Adapture to basically get rid of that spend and put their information in the cloud. So good question, and the way you phrased it is how most of the conversation comes around, but you're never going to get rid of the spend. And hopefully people aren't storing their stuff in their office. But that's a second conversation. That's a different conversation. Some still do. But, Some but, still do. Yeah. We do come across that. But the reality is what you're doing is you're transitioning your spend to a more flexible environment that you can really control. So in the, in the, hardware, in the hardware world where you buy something, I bought a refrigerator the other day and we're um, – having our first grandbaby, which is awesome. And so my wife's like, we're going to need a little more space. So I'm buying for the future. Will I need that space? I don't know. But we still bought 25% more than I need. The beauty in the cloud is that you don't have to do that. You can really monitor what you're purchasing. You can watch it grow or you can watch it shrink and you could turn it on and off as required. So where the overspend comes, or maybe you don't have to spend those extra dollars to predict the future when you really don't know. The cool part about that is if you get um, with, a, with a company like us, you can really see on a monthly basis how to control that. And that's where the real problem and opportunity lies for our clients. Okay. Um, when, when you're going to work with an organization, whether you've got you know boots on the ground, you know, banging down those doors, or whether they're contacting you – are you generally working with you know the same type of buyer within IT for all these different types of services? No. Another fantastic question because now you're really talking with somebody from the financial side, maybe a treasurer, maybe a, a CFO, um, somebody who is in more in control of the spend because it comes across as an expense. Um, and they're looking at it going, okay, what am, I, what am I doing here? Why am I seeing this bill? And I don't know what this is for. So educating them about where those dollars are being used and how to really manage to it um, is one aspect. And then procurement uh, is a front-end issue that you have to get them to understand the buying process. And then the third group would be the actual user, the folks that are in the technology um, section itself, that is whether that's um, physical um, backup as you were talking about, or whether they're doing the network side or whether they're doing the, the CPU and, and memory portions and consumption. There are three different buying groups, but I think ultimately the most important person or persons to deal with is in finance because ultimately they are the last to understand why is this, why am I getting this bill? Sure. So sure. They, they, they are the ones who um, look ultimately what your, your goal is. Hopefully you save your clients money and hopefully you save them time and headache um, ultimately, the finance piece has to run through, you know, a CFO or 
controller yeah. at some point. And they and the output for them is extremely important. So we spend a lot of time on monthly and quarterly outputs to show them that not only are you quote potentially saving money, because again, that's a little bit of a misconception because you may be transferring dollar for dollar, but you're eliminating risk and you're in more control of how you spend your money. But at the end of the day, um, the risk factor should go down. It should be better visibility and your decision-making process should have more data points, more analytics to it to make a better decision in the future for growth. So what always interests me in, with uh, businesses like yours is at what, look, sometimes ROI is intangible. Sometimes it is a number, right? Sometimes it takes a leap of faith and you have to say, look, you know, yeah. we, can, we can use uh, these type of metrics to calculate it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a feel. It's, um, you know, it's, it's satisfaction from your employees, right? And sometimes it literally is dollars and cents. But I always am curious at what point after which you start engaging with a client, are you really able to tell from a qualitative or qualitative perspective what that return and what the result is? Yeah, great question again. So it depends on where you start. If somebody's in it, and again, I gave you some brief statistics about the the new company in the first 18 months are going to overspend somewhere between, you know, that 120 to 130% in the first 18 months. It's terrible because they're not looking at, oh, I've turned it on, but nobody's watching the shop because they're not built to do that. They're built to look at performance. They're not built to monitoring spend. So some of them you can do within the first 30 days. Mm-hmm. We met with a client um, last year, the beginning of this year, and looked at their spend. They were just like, can you tell us what we're doing? And I'm like, well, you've, you've got almost 50 terabytes of storage turned on. And we haven't seen a thing come across. And like, who did that? So ultimately, at the end of the day, it was $90,000 in spend that they were going to have to pay that we turned off immediately. And so it's extremely tangible right then and there. In the future, when you're looking at the long game, you have to spend more time on the data points of what are you spending in maintenance? What are you spending in talent, operations, support? If you're 7 by 24, 365, you can lay out a really nice ROI, but a lot of those data points comes from the client. And you'll find that most of the clients are unsure of those data points because it is so um, diverse, spread across purchasing, it's spread across the talent, it's spread across contractors divisions. So you really got to work hard. And that's what we do. We don't have technology that finds problems. We have consultants that locate business conversations. So you, you mentioned when we were talking about sort of how long it takes, right? And you said with a new organization, you know, um, and, and I want to touch on that new organization. Are you referring to literally a newly formed organization that's a startup? Or are you referring to someone that has just signed on with you? And I guess what I'm getting at is, sure. do you have different solutions from an SMB perspective as opposed to an enterprise perspective? So in as it relates to, to spend, if you just jumped into the cloud, whether you're an enterprise client or you're a newly formed business or something in between, the problem is the same. So I've had clients sign long-term um, enterprise agreements that failed in the first seven months because, again, nobody was watching how they were spending, and now they are paying triple what they would have done had they not signed that. Sure. Right? So it depends on 
when they get started and how they get started, but the rules of the game don't change whether you're today getting in, whether you've been in for two months, or whether you've been in for two years. It's what and who is managing and monitoring your environment on a consistent basis that can actually pull the analytics for you to make business decisions on a monthly basis. Because keep in mind, this is like electricity. You are not going to go back if you left all your lights on and the refrigerator open and dishwasher going and the washing machine spinning and you got a $3,000 bill from the electric company, they don't care. You're not going to come back and say, well, I didn't mean to do that. They're like, well, you did. how can I help you? Yeah. Right? And that's exactly the same thing with cloud. You're not going to argue with Amazon or you're not going to argue with Microsoft or Google because they're not going to recredit it. It's, it's your responsibility. Sure. Okay, so we, there's, there's one piece of your business that we haven't touched upon, and it comes from an acquisition um, that was made a couple of years back. And I, I am always interested in the story of M&A because it is, <sighs> you know, it's a, it's a business marriage. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's, well, it, 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 is, it is totally a marriage. It, it, it is, right? And so, you know, you, you court someone for long enough. Uh, you hopefully know the good and the bad before you go into it. Um, it hopefully turns out well and you learn and you grow and it's hard work to maintain. Um, but it is always interesting to me how the two cultures of an organization come together and either bend to one form something new and what that new service brings to the organization. So I, I put all that out there, but maybe just kind of touch upon the acquisition, the story, how sure. it happened and what sort of capabilities it's brought. Yeah. So this is for us, um, the acquisition and we'll, you know, we're talking about our talent side now mm-hmm. and the recruiting was actually a standalone organization under the holdings company. And to, Two quick points. One, if you have leadership that is just as excited as you are about the industry that they're in, and I mean they're super passionate about what they do and how they do it, that's a booster rocket, right? Now, obviously, if you're not paying attention, that can go sideways, but it's a, it's got a lot of energy and momentum to it, right? So the the leadership on that side of the house really needed to pair up with a, with a, a spaceship, they were heavy, heavy thrusters. They were making a lot of um, great introductions. They were getting out there and helping folks with contractors, long-term, short-term, finding uh, permanent placements. And we're, we thought to ourselves, they need to be part of our organization because every single day we talk to clients, they are looking for somebody else to either enhance their organizations, short-term help, long-term help and permanent placement. And instead of telling another story about, well, we've got another company that does this and we can bring them in and we could do the introductions, we're like, forget that. Let's just have them merge into our organization under the Adapture flag, right? And now we have talent. So when I'm sitting in front of the CIO or a CFO or a director or a manager or a line of business um, and they're like, we really need an application development person for six months. Do you know anybody? I don't have to say, no, I don't anymore, I, but I could get you in touch with somebody. I can say, absolutely. We've got a part of our business that deals strictly with talent. These folks have 20 plus, 25 years experience between the two of them. They've got a group underneath them. And it's just pure power for us. Yeah. And it makes it easier on the client. We're not having to do new agreements, new MSAs, new documents. New, it's just like it's very smooth, 
and it's an easy transition conversation. And we get to help them with something that right now is so critical because this marketplace, you know, we just brought on 5 million new jobs, right, um, from the jobs report. But almost 90% of that is contracting in some way, shape, or form. So contractors are going to come back first. That's the first thing because everybody wants to test the waters. We go in over yinging or yanging, right? And so we have that ability to bring that service to our clients without having to transition them to another conversation. It's just a natural fit. Well, and what's interesting is I'll bet when, I'll bet if, if you were asked the question seven years ago, hey, would it make sense to have a piece of our business that worked on talent? You probably would have said, what does that have anything to do with IT consulting? Right. And it's these, the unintended consequences that happen when you work enough client engagements um, and you just learn new things. And and now of course it, it makes total sense to you and it's a, it's a great fit. Yeah. And, and I think that the element that can be easily overlooked is chemistry. The, the, the president of the talent division is so high energy. He's so passionate. He's, he knows the business so well that he brings a level of energy that matches mine. We are relentless, relentless in our pursuit of trying to help our clients. And even if it has nothing to do with us, mm-hmm. we will go to extreme lengths to try to find them the right contacts to make something happen. And he just has that heart. We're going we're gonna to try to help. Well, as, as with any good marriage, chemistry is important. And, um, you know, I imagine that the integration has been pretty seamless because – you know, we're talking about two organizations that were under the same holding company, right? This is not, you know, there was already a level of comfort there where I imagine culture was pretty similar. Yes, yes. And the direction was straightforward, yeah. right? We are going to team on everything we find to see if we can assist. Team to assist, team to assist. Yeah. Pretty easy. So, you know, under under the banner of Adapture that now has these, you know, different uh, business lines, you serve plenty of different types of industries, yeah. retail, healthcare, manufacturing, you know, et cetera. And I'm wondering if the product and or solution is a little bit varied or different depending on what industry you're working with, or is it, you know, businesses generally need the same thing. It's just about understanding their particular, um, you know, unique spin that you, that they're going to put on it. Yes. So, yes, in the broader sense that I've not spoken to a business in my 30 years in this industry that said, oh, yeah, I'm just like so-and-so, and I need the same thing. There are elements of the business that everybody needs to have, and then there's elements that everybody needs to get on board with, for sure, in terms of, you know, we, we used to all come to the office, and we had our offices locked down, and we knew what the security looked like, we knew what... Um, uh, everybody had the right passwords and we were changing them every, you know, 60, 90 days and you couldn't get in the door without flipping a button, those types of things. All that's changed. We've moved our offices to home. People are using personal devices. So the elements are all the same, mm-hmm. but they, we rearrange them to fit into a client's um, uh, work habits, their culture and strategic directions. And then also obviously you know, requirements from the government or regulations that they have to comply to, sure. right? So, but the, but I think there's a lot of common elements that we get to play with and that would, and making it repeatable in some sense, but then you get more knowledgeable and that's what you're really bringing to the client. What's the knowledge that you can deliver? Well, so you, you, you've touched upon our, our current situation and I'm curious if traditionally 
you know, you had members of your team who were actually embedding with your clients on premises in their location, or if, you know, this was typically a remote um, consultation engagement anyway. And so it's yeah. continues. No. So we've had, it's when you deliver professional services and deploy projects, you're always on site. We, we, we just rolled out a, um, a deployment last week in Canada um, what's changed is that our network of partners has increased, and so is the vetting, right? So we have really um, long-term, you know, five, ten-year partners that we deal with that we, we know and trust and can de- deliver the quality we want. So people that we had in place at a client site that, w- that they were comfortable with, well, they're not even in their offices. Sure. So we've had to do a lot of Zooming and a lot of, you know, uh, Teams and a lot of, you know, WebExes. But um, so that's definitely changed. But at the end of the day, when you have to go on site and deploy something, you still have to, you have to either decide whether am I getting on a plane or is there somebody in that location sure. that I can trust to do the job. And and that's what also um has grown for us, you know, that those relationships. Well, I'm, I'm curious as, as the leader of an organization, uh, look, I think that one of the CEO's foremost jobs is to promote culture and collaboration and team building. Um, and now can be a very tough time to do that. Um, and so, you know, look, for, for those who were already in the organization who get it, right, okay, it's not like that's going to suddenly wane just because, you know, we have to work from home more often. Sure. But I'm curious as we, you know, look, our, our office is open back up and granted it's a, you know, it's, it's a skeleton crew by comparison. We're doing weeks on and weeks off. We have a rather large office. Um, but even, even for those of us that are, you know, have been in the company for multiple years, it, it has been tough to really maintain that camaraderie over digital and so I'm curious what the plan is for keeping the morale up of those who can't see and interact with their colleagues yet. And also when you bring on more people, um, how you embed that culture when maybe they're not going to be seeing their colleagues, you know, every day of the week. Yeah. Great question. And it's something that, so I'm, I'm a high touch person. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're all built to, to, I think to communicate and visually see people and hang around and, you know, that's, that's how we were made. So it has been, um, the first couple of months have been a challenge in that regard because you have different types of people too. Engineers would, by definition, be more comfortable working alone to solve a problem than sales or support. Sure. So you have two different, three different, maybe four different groups. So we have spent a lot of time working on rotations, small rotations in a large office. You know, everybody go to their corner. Yeah. But you still have the ability to, to, to talk to somebody and to see them. And so that's been a, a definite positive. And we've taken extreme measures, you know, masks, um, temperature checks. Every two hours, you got to wipe down the areas. You know, those things that we think will, will definitely help. And then we've rotated the group. So it's not all engineering. It's sure. support sales, engineering. And we just brought on somebody new yesterday to our organization. So we, we brought That's on great. a full-time person, yeah, adding to, the, adding to our support and um, helping our clients. And the challenge will be 
getting that individual to understand the culture, how we operate, and what we really, what is the goal that we're trying to achieve for our clients. So that's my job. So I'm in the office every day. Yep. I haven't, I haven't missed a, you know, a day other than almost cutting my hands off with a table saw, but side note conversation. Um, but the fact of the matter is I will spend a lot of time as one of the executives face-to-face or as close to face-to-face as we can get to whiteboard and communicate and talk about the client engagements. What clients have we worked with? Why do we have 15, 16, 17-year relationships with specific clients with, with a particular sales individual? How does our partner relationships work? What does distribution look like? Who are the key contacts? So it's going to be, for me, high touch. And then as we rotate in and out the rest of the groups, they'll also get a different flavor based on their experiences. So we're doubling down on um, the rotation. I just had this conversation on Monday with the rest of the executive teams, and I am, we are coming into the office at your comfort level, but there's a schedule, and we would like to see you in there at least once, if not twice a week. Yeah, it's just, uh, so, I mean, literally my first, the office has been open since June 1, but, you know, we have 900 people in Atlanta. So it's a little yeah. bit of a challenge, but my first day back was literally yesterday. And just seeing people and yeah. like saying hi to them without the static of a Zoom, it, it, it's amazing what that does for the human brain. Yes, it's total. And I and like I said, we went out to lunch, took a customer out to lunch last week. It was, <laughs> I, we had the best service. There was no traffic. Yeah. I mean, it was awesome. So it's it's been, and that and that was a big thing for them. You know, they were like, this is so great to see you guys. It is. High touch. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's like re- been revelatory, the, what human connection means. It's, I've been, there, there, there are plenty of reasons to be negative in today's world. I've certainly yes. been trying to focus on positive and things we take for granted, and that is yeah. definitely one of them. Yeah. There, there's a lot of positive going on, too. You just yes. really just need to pay attention to Absolutely. it. Um, you, you mentioned your 30 years in this industry, but... Um, you know, you have not been with Adapture for 30 years. And so I'm curious as to the, what was the reason in your life that Adapture was the right next step? So uh, in 2012, I would say, or just before that, maybe middle of 2011, I'd spent a lot of time with a particular organization here in Atlanta. Love the president and I went back probably 10 years, worked for him. Um, But they were, they were very, very set on selling hardware. And they did a great job at it. But in my mind, coming from um, uh, also technology finance, understanding the bigger picture, knowing how dollars work, recurring revenue, and things like that, cloud at that point in time was, was talked about, and only a few of the larger, larger enterprises in the, organ- in, in the country were just like they were adopting it, they were doing it, even if it was clunky. And we were not spending any time on it. And I thought, we are going to miss the boat. We're going to miss the boat. And I'm not going to spend the rest of my career in just hardware. There's a better future in security and adapting and adopting to cloud mm-hmm. Um, and it's not without road rash, trust me. It's, it's been, you know, there's been a lot of energy and effort um, spent in education, uh, understanding the market, and trying to figure out where does this really fit and are we messaging correctly to our clients? 
And how are we doing that? What are we bringing to them that's of value? So spent about a year and a half talking to um, uh, one of the other CEOs, a good friend of mine, and worked out an opportunity where we started Adapture. And that was where I felt like I could really take my background and leverage it for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. Okay, so so let's let's go back to what we touched on at the beginning about the name of your company and adapting. Um, okay, so we've talked about how we are adapting culture and teams to this new environment, but let's take that out of it. Let's just focus on technology and the future of adapture. What you know, so you know, you're seven, eight years in. What do you feel like you're adapting to now, and what is on the horizon from a technological perspective for adapture? Yeah, so really good question because that's we're in evaluation right now. If you look at the industry, um, really is in the consumption model. You know, we're a we're a service based country. We're a consumption model, and um, we have seen all of the major players: Cisco, Microsoft, AWS, uh, Checkpoint, F five, um, Palo Alto, all shifting their conversations from ownership to usage, ownership to usage. So that's one part A. Part B is actually consuming, tracking, and the benefits of that. So it's an entire different line of business. So it's not I bought 30% more, 25% more for the future, but I'm not using it right now. Mm -hmm. I'm actually trying to figure out what I need to consume this year. Maybe, and then roll it into a 24 or 36-month type of model. And to do that, this is a whole different way of thinking. And we have spent a lot of time investing into various models to understand how the manufacturer is positioning it, leveraging it, training it, not only to the partners, but to the community. What are they messaging to the community about how to consume in a different manner that they're not used to consuming? And that's where the future is. That's where it's going and not saying technology is going to you know, disappear because that's not possible either, but we do know that a consumption model in technology is rapidly being deployed. Sure. Okay, so uh, if, if anyone listening wants to learn more and understand that future. Call me. Yeah. How, how do they get in touch? How do they learn about Adapture? So you can either go to our website and we have an immediate chat. Somebody will be right there, pick up, and you can chat um, right online. We um, publish probably um, this year we'll do seven, eight events. Or you can just send out an email to anybody on the list in the company and we will respond immediately and, and we'll have a conversation about anything you want. Great. Okay. And Adapture is spelled A-D-A-P-T-U-R-E for everyone listening. There you go. All right. Thanks a lot, Robert. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay, Anju, we are going to switch gears and we're going to have a fun discussion about cancer. Sounds good. Yes, <laughs> as fun as we can make it. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so uh, you, you're in an interesting position because, of course, you are developing technology for, is it number one or number two? Does it switch back and forth with heart disease on biggest killer in the States? Yes, so it's number two. Number two. Yeah, okay. but growing fast. Well, okay, yeah. right. Um, so, you know, it's you are consistently dealing with one of the most life-altering and horrific events that can take place in someone's life, in a family's life, and there's probably no one listening to this that doesn't have some story themselves or a family member about cancer. And it's what you are knee-deep in every single day. Um, 
but I imagine that there's a lot of hope in what you do as well because you're trying to help the process to treat it. So I, I would love to hear kind of you personally, how you came to this and why it's so important to you. And just a little bit about the technology and the goal you're trying to accomplish. Sure. So personally, how I came to this was uh, going back now more than 10 years. So this is 2007. My father was diagnosed with AML. So that's acute leukemia. Um, Interestingly, uh, so at the time of his diagnosis, he was told that he had two weeks to live. And we met three different providers at the same facility. And each of them gave him a different recommendation. And he was left to make that decision himself, like which way, which path to take. So seeing him go through that struggle, um, I think it just hit me. That experience definitely hit me because I came from another industry and many other industries. And never in any of those industries have I seen when you're making a critical recommendation or a critical decision, you know, it's usually a team driven approach. Right. So nobody but nobody came to him saying we discussed this as a team and we felt this is the best you know, step you should take. But he was asked to just make that decision based on uh, what he heard. So, you know, that that experience definitely hit me at that point of time. Now, I didn't jump into cancer right after that. Um, In fact, so then we were in Minnesota at that point of time. I moved to Atlanta. Um, I met two scientists who are actually working on a cool technology, which is called polarization subtraction. And at that point of time, we co-founded a company uh, which is a medical device uh, in the cancer imaging space. So that was my foray first into cancer. Now, that experience still remained with me. Um, now, that after that uh, first startup, I joined McKesson because I knew I loved healthcare and I wanted to learn more about healthcare. So I was first with their corporate strategy group, and then ultimately I was um, heading up innovation and technology partnerships for their medical surgical business unit. Um, at that point of time, it just happened that uh, one of the administrators, alongside with my co-founder, who is a practicing oncologist, approached me saying, well, the delivery of quality cancer care needs to have that multidisciplinary discussion, right? So that's when multiple specialties, because cancer, when you think about it, we all think that our medical oncologist is the expert in all solutions possible for cancer, but that's not true. Your surgeon could have surgical options. Radiation oncology has radiation options. Pathology is the one who actually says what type of cancer it is. Radiology says where it's spread, right? So ideally, those five core specialties need to come together, but there are also other possibilities, right? Many patients don't have an option forward, so then you have to think about hospice and palliative care. So they came to me saying, you know, ideally in any cancer patient, these groups, these multidisciplinary groups needs to come together. But the, and they do. They've recognized that for a very long time. So, in fact, many accrediting bodies require that cancer programs pass a minimum number of patients through that multidisciplinary discussion. But it's just very inefficient today. It's very manually driven. The data on a patient is in different silos. So all that is not available when they're having that discussion or it just takes hours. And a lot is missed, right? So, you know, you talked about hope earlier and that's true it's you know we are in the era of precision medicine where the data available around mutations and mutation specific treatments is just doubling you know in in a matter of days so how do you bring all that automatically with less manual input to that discussion and so that that really triggered the um the thought in my mind of okay how can we really solve this Right. And so initially you started really, a let's well, let's see if we can, because healthcare, being in healthcare, it's hard. Change management in healthcare is very hard. 
um, getting new technologies embedded and rolled out is hard. So we started with a prototype. We saw some amazing results, which was a 90% reduction in just time and administrative resources going into pulling together a case in, you know, for discussion. Sure. Yeah. So that's how, that's the story to how we started Onkelens. And then from there, other hospitals started to ask for it. So I feel like this is probably, uh, and I include myself in this, probably a common misconception about how doctors go about um, diagnosing and finding a treatment um, for, for a specific cancer. I would say that most of us probably think of doctors, they're scientists, right? Mm-hmm. These are men of, uh, and women of data and math and science. And um, you, one would think quantitative measures that would easily point to you know, here is issue X, Y, and Z with a patient, plug it into some sort of formula and out comes the optimal solution. But it's not that easy. And I imagine that adding to that, and I'd love your opinion on this. Okay, so you have different specialties, right? You have different doctors, right? Maybe you get a second or third opinion, okay? Mm -hmm. Is the difference in those um, treatment recommendations is this just simply the difference in how some doctors are educated? Is it ego? Is it profit motive? What is the reason for the disparate um, choices that someone like your father would have to make? Yeah, great question. And I think to your point, everybody, they are definitely you know, uh, supporters of data. They like that scientific approach. But what's happening in the real world really is a culmination of a few different things. One is the potential options for treatment are just changing so rapidly, right? And when you take a typical community-based provider, they're very busy. Their schedules, they have so many patients to see. I mean, the ratio of physicians to the number of patients that are coming through is still abysmally low. Um, So they're trying to see each patient. In fact, some of them were seeing one patient in five minutes. So where's your... Yes, you know, and there are now with value-based care coming in, they are trying to say, well, you need to spend at least a certain X number of minutes with each patient. So it's very hard for them to stay on top of all those treatment options. Now, so on the flip side, when you think about, okay, well, then the, so what what is truly then going to guide my decision-making? It's going to be my prior experience, Right. What did I just what is top of mind right now? So I probably saw a few of these similar types of patients recently and I saw some good outcomes there. So in what in my mind, it may not necessarily be data driven. So I'm going to try the same thing once again. Sure. Or I saw a few clinical journals and I'm going to look into that as an option. In some cases, reimbursement comes into play. We know that certain treatment options are not reimbursed in a particular region. It's very, healthcare is still so local and regional um, that all those factors come into play. So a lot of it will come down to your personal experience, your personal familiarity. I can give you an example. We had an oncologist who tried immunotherapy, actually. So this is, this is the flip side. He wanted to try something new. And immunotherapy is a very new type of treatment that has come out for cancer. So he had a patient, two, and um, he tried immunotherapy on, on them. However, what he didn't realize, and he had missed in his studies earlier, and he was very open about this and very sad about it, was you have to manage that, he had to manage that patient's symptoms with steroid-based treatment and others, which he completely did not realize, and he lost both those patients. 
So with that experience, though, what he what he said is, I'm done. Yeah, I'm not going to be recommending immunotherapy until I learn and I hear more about this from other people. So you can see how it works on both sides. So it, a lot of it will come down to experience, comfort level, awareness, education. And that's what why healthcare now is more of a mix of an art and a science. Sure. It's not purely science. Well, and I could see how that team's approach would be even more necessary because, mm-hmm. I mean, look, it's just the reason why we want diverse workplaces, diversity of background and diversity of thought, mm-hmm. because as your solutions are better when you have multiple people to stress test it and they bring the experience of their own, you know, unique background. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So this is technology that is helping, um, you know, cancer hospitals and doctors guide treatment better. Um, in a more effective and, uh, I would say, smoother fashion. So what sort of traction have you received thus far? Yeah, so we launched the product in uh, middle of 2017. So it's just becoming three years, in fact. Um, So now, I mean, we've had some great traction. We have some of the largest IDNs in the country that are our customers. Um, We serve customers across more than 20 states today. Um, and it ranges. It really ranges from small community centers that are seeing 250 newly diagnosed cancer patients to larger academic centers with like more than 10,000 academic um, analytic cases. Those are newly diagnosed cases. And, and is the measurement for and maybe there's multiple measurements for success? Is it you know time that it takes to um, devise the right treatment? Is it survival? What what are the metrics there um, that your hospital clients are using to determine the success of Oncolens? Yeah, so first up is efficiency, right? And that's something that we can very much show an immediate ROI, right? So as I mentioned before, the data for any patient is just in different silos. Not only that, but coordinating across these multiple specialties, it's actually picking up the phone, you get information on a post-it sometimes, facts, <laughs> it's, that's how information goes back and forth today in healthcare. So bringing efficiency to that entire process of data flow, data aggregation, uh, just preparation of the case. So what are the options? We immediately cut down that time. And we have shown in multiple um, time studies that what takes typically takes like a tumor board is a discussion of four to five cases that typically takes 10 hours. We've been able to reduce that to less than an hour. Wow. Yep. So directly efficiency up front. Then after that, now we start to measure, okay, as a result of these discussions, what, um, what is our clinical trial accrual rate, right? What was the baseline before and how we've been able to improve that? So our system will show automatically what clinical trials are a match for that patient, both at that specific site or at affiliated sites. Um, and then also ultimately, okay, measuring against quality guidelines, right? And this is where we help our customers Pretty much immediately, it's very simple. They can just download, okay, this is how we've matched against the quality guidelines that the Commission on Cancer, the breast cancer crediting bodies, rectal cancer crediting bodies have asked you to measure yourself against. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this, uh, uh, look, it, obviously I am not specifically an expert in uh, cancer technologies, but it, it would seem to me like this is a pretty unique type of technology. Do you have many competitors? Not many, but we do have some strong competition. I would say the good thing is, I think, you know, our understanding of oncology shows very clearly to the customer, right? And we have come up against them in multiple RFPs um, and we've won against them. And truly, the, I think our customer recognizes just our core understanding of oncology. 
We have, as part of our team, we have an oncologist who is my co-founder. We have an oncology nurse. We have registrars. And these are the people who are living and breathing this every day. Sure. When we built our platform, you know, I and the technology team, we worked very closely with the cancer programs. And we continue to do that every day. Right? We're very responsive to that as opposed to like a larger company. Um, so what you'll see is in healthcare, especially to reduce that the friction around change management, you need to try and embed it as closely as possible into the existing workflow. And that's exactly what we've done. So our customers have come back saying that's, that's exactly why we chose you. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously for, um, for business of your size, it's really important to have focus and focus on what you're good at. Right. And, and of course the name of your company says it all. You have embedded cancer, um, you know, onco, uh, you know, into your name and thus your mission. But I'm curious if you see this technology at some point in the future as applicable to other types of complex illnesses outside of just cancer. Um, yes, this technology can absolutely be expanded to other ologies. Um, we decided at this point to focus on oncology because just this potential, very high potential for growth here. There's a lot that we can solve for our customers, for our patients as well, right? So it's bringing precision medicine and the latest options in cancer treatment to the forefront. So, so what is the, what is your measurement of an addressable market? You know, purely focusing on cancer for this type of technology. Um, so purely, I mean, cancer in itself is. I think the the entire market in terms of treatment as well as diagnostics is in a couple hundred billion dollars worldwide. Right. Um, when you take purely from a provider education perspective, mm-hmm. uh, more than, you know, 10 percent of that is being spent every year by pharma and diagnostics just on bringing that bringing to the forefront of providers. Like what are the best treatment options? Sure. Right. Yeah. Now, look, I, you know, it's 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 somewhat it's a relevant question, but it's, you know, look, when you're talking about the number two killer. Right. It, it's mm-hmm. somewhat of an obvious question. I, I understand yes. that. Um, and I imagine it's a bit daunting as, as well, just the scale of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, I mean, is, is the technology better for certain type of cancers than others? Like are there other hospitals that maybe are really specialties and, you know, these 10 different types of cancers that would use this or just across cancer as a diagnosis, it, it really is fungible, I guess. Um, We're pretty cancer type agnostic, so we support all cancer types. Now, just in terms of as we're developing insights and the ability to provide that insight back to the provider, just by nature of the types of cancers or the prevalence of cancer in the society, which is breast cancer and then lung cancer, definitely, you know, just from our data set and the knowledge we've built out and our customers as well, we're stronger in breast and lung cancer. Okay. Um, followed closely by prostate and colon. But that's a reflection really of just the number of cancer cases there are. Sure, purely volume. Yes. Okay. Um, You know, obviously cancer does not stop just because there is a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we talked with Robert a little bit about how his company has adapted. Um, No pun intended. Uh, and, And so I'm curious, you know, over the past couple of months, how you've been working with your uh, clients that I imagine will probably be pulled in so many different directions, um, but they still have this core mission because people are still getting cancer. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, what happened was come the second week of March, we had 
luckily we were actually all in the office together at that point of time when yeah. we realized, okay, well, there's some, there's a little bit of a pivot that we need to make here, right? We need to roll out the ability for all our cancer programs to be able to engage their care team members individually, but remotely all at the real, all at the same time. So there was technology that we had been working on primarily to support more radiology imaging sharing. So mm-hmm. image sharing, um, which could help like, so it was pretty much an embedded screen share into our tech, into our platform. So what we did was we took that platform, we quickly um, reworked that so that you could, and you could have multiple specialists engage with each other real time, either for an actual tumor board, which is like a scheduled meeting sure. or in a, you know, a separate discussion. Um, and how it was different from any other screen sharing is this is healthcare, right? It needs to be HIPAA compliant. You can't have somebody zoom bomb your tumor board with patient information there. So it was embedded very much directly into the platform. So any user, anybody going into our platform was authenticated by our platform first okay. with, you know, no open links and others. So with that, um, we rolled that out. And in fact, as a, as a result of COVID-19, like you said, cancer doesn't stop, um, but what was a typical 10-month sales cycle reduced to a four-day sales cycle. And, <laughs> you know, and yeah, but that's because cancer programs, like to your point, they, they needed the platform, yeah. right? It doesn't stop. Um, so, yes, so it's been quite right since then. And, um, you know, we're, we continue uh, to help our cancer programs and honor that we could play a, a very core part of this challenge that COVID has brought on. Well, and that is just the type of, pivot that a nimble company like yours can make quickly, mm-hmm. right, to adapt the technology for um, a change like that. Um, I'd imagine that'd probably be a little bit harder for some of your larger competitors um, that probably have a little bit more bureaucracy behind them. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have an amazing team, a very passionate team, um, and that's the way we work. You know, we're talking about culture. We are very innovative, quick moving. We work, we walk hand in hand with the customer, Right. Okay, so let's. Uh, this this is an Atlanta uh, based and themed podcast, um, and you are have been housed in one of Atlanta's crown jewels of technology, ATDC, um, obviously run by Georgia Tech. And so, I'd love to get um, you know a, a, an understanding of how that's impacted your business, and you know why Atlanta was the place you said that you were in Minneapolis before, and so uh, you know other other opportunities might have been what brought you down here, but why was this the place? to run Uncle Lens. Yeah, so other opportunities did bring me down here. So I was here before. I think I would have still started the company here despite, I did start the company here despite, you know, ATDC. However, what I loved you know, being part of ATDC is just the, the camaraderie and the ability to learn from each other. It's very important to, as you're building your team, that they also feel they're getting something out of that experience, right? There's obviously learning from each other, but when you're a small team, you want them to see other people and you want them to grow, you get that opportunity at ATDC. I think the mentorship as well has been just amazing. Um, You know, the mentors and the catalysts there at ATDC have been great, you know, connectors, um, connectors when you need, you know, funding, just helping you with guidance of, okay, these are some of the lessons learned from other companies. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Look, it's, it is is one of the areas of our city that um, has constantly, shown very well um and it's just produced some amazing companies it's great mm-hmm. to hear that you've had a good experience there yes yeah. um so if anyone listening wants to learn more about you how do they get in touch 
Well, our website is onkelens.com and we have an email info at onkelens.com where they can just come and request for any type of information. They want to learn a little bit more about our product or just learn more about the team. Um, it's always watched and we'll get back to them very quickly. Great. Okay. Uh, Anju, great mission. Thanks for coming on. Uh, both of you enjoy talking and to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in to Tech Talk. Thank you.